Welcome to the Base Path Podcast brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan, along with co-host Matt Feld, who's joining us by Zoom. Also on Zoom is our guest today, one of New England's top press prep. Also on Zoom today is one of New England's top prep prospects in the class of 2024, a six foot nine right-handed pitcher from Worcester Academy, Maverick Rizzi, who is finishing up a busy summer of showcases across the country. Mav, thanks so much for taking the time. No, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no, I know this summer has been crazy for you. You represented Team Massachusetts back in June. You went to the East Coast Pro Showcase, Area Code Games. What has the last month been like in terms of travel and the experience? Yeah, no, it's been a great experience. By far the best summer I've had of baseball yet. It's a lot. I mean, you come home, you're, you go on the road for five, six days, come home, you get two days, pack up and go again. So it, it's been a lot. But I mean, I definitely wouldn't have it any other way. Just playing with like the best competition out there. I mean, me and all these new guys that like I'm, I I went down there knowing one guy, Matt Conti, that play against him all the time at Dexter. But before that, I didn't know anyone else on the team. And then I had like six really good friends coming out of it. So it was awesome. Matt, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, please. But I, I know that I think that you kind of reopened your recruiting and decommitted from the University of Connecticut. What kind of went into that decision and, and kind of where are you at right now when you're thinking about next steps after high school? Yeah, no. So it's definitely a really hard decision. I mean, there I had such a strong relationship with Coach Penders, Coach McDonald, and just with Coach McDonald recently, like looking at new jobs and potentially getting a head job, I just made me question myself, like whether that was truly home for me after committing at such a young age. So had a really great conversation with Coach McDonald, very transparent with me, very open, very honest, and decided it was best to reopen and hopefully find a new home in these next couple months. Yeah, that's a big deal, I guess, in the recruiting circles all across the nation, because I would think you'll have your pick of pretty much anywhere that you want to go. What do you expect the timeline to be like? And what was the what is the process of like letting people know that you've reopened your search? Because it's not really like a transfer portal situation where they see you pop up and they know they can recruit you. Yeah, so my Kings coach, Coach Petty, he's awesome. He as soon as I let him know, he reached out to my top 10 schools, my list of schools I sent to him. And within a couple of days, I had a phone call from each one of those schools. So big shout out to him. He's been like awesome through this whole process. But uh, yeah, no, I the timeline for me is I, I'm doing all the official visits because I, I truly need to go down and see those places if I see myself there for two to, th- two to four years. So I'm starting that on the 24th. First one I'm going to is Vanderbilt. So super, super excited for that. But Definitely like taking time, not rushing it the second time through and like truly getting that home. Like when I stepped on Worcester Academy's campus, I got that feeling. So trying to find that feeling again. What what's, are your, the, what's the high school, what's the Worcester Academy experience been like for you from a baseball standpoint, from a people standpoint, friend circles, things of, things of that nature? What's that? What's the high school experience been like for you so far? I, I mean, I absolutely love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. I came into Worcester Academy as a freshman after a tough time in middle school. So it was kind of like a no-brainer for me to follow my brother and do what he did by going to Worcester Academy. And instantly, I mean, my best friend was in my advisor and I thought he was the weirdest kid first day of school. So I was like, this is my home. I I got friends forever. It's kind of sad, but all my friends graduated this year because of I because I reclassed. So they're all off to college, but it's been awesome. I mean, from a teacher's standpoint, it's like the friendship you have with these teachers, it's like you can go with them with anything like my advisor he i'll go to him ask him stuff about baseball ask him stuff about like what i should do here what i should do here it's like not just like 
school with them. I mean, it's, it's like truly about relationships and like getting to know people. It's, it's honestly been the best like experience I've ever been a part of. You mentioned having 10 schools on your list. Are those mostly SEC schools or schools down South or any of those schools in New England? So I narrowed it down to six. I decided to take six official visits. They recently, they had a rule where you can only do five, but that just got lifted. So five of them are SEC and one ACC. Gotcha. In terms of going to East Post Pro, playing on the team mass, Geico Games talked about goal was to play with new teammates, play against different competition, play against different competition, play alongside teammates. Have you thought about, obviously, with that, with that comes from, from amateur scouting you know, attention also and, and kind of thinking about pro ball? Is that a process that you've started thinking about or, or even entertained? Or, or have you decided to put that off on hold until you kind of commit to your next school? No, so that's like kind of been like going happening as well. I mean, it's always been a dream of mine to play professional baseball. So, yeah, I got to find a home first, but definitely like going to be putting a lot of effort into like reaching that dream of mine hopefully like completing that goal that I've had since I was a young kid. But like with these two show, uh, I mean, between East Coast Pro and Area Code, I mean, you look back and there's 50 to 100 scouts right behind the, the plate. So it's, it's a little intimidating at first, but it's, I mean, that's that's how you got to do it to get to that next level. So definitely like with those showcases, it was very important. You said most of your friends are graduating now from that championship Worcester Academy team this year. Why did you decide to reclassify? It would seem that you're you're physically ready to go off to college or play professional baseball at this point. Yeah, so with I mean with COVID, I definitely like lost a lot, lost the whole year of school basically with us being online. I really struggled with grades, but also just had like a couple setbacks in my career. Missed two years of baseball, so I kind of felt like I was behind at that point, and it was probably the best thing that I've done is to reclass. I mean just getting that extra year of school, being able to like catch up. Now I can take harder classes going into this year, classes I wouldn't get to normally take if I was on a regular four-year plan in high school. So definitely grateful for that in that sense. And then baseball, I mean, it, it gave me an extra year to develop, like leading into the draft or leading into college. So I feel like I'm a step ahead. Matt, is it hard with where you're at now? I'm always interested. Obviously, you're ahead of a lot of your peers from a baseball standpoint, relatively speaking, based on age and, and year in high school. How do you balance handling that from kind of just not letting yourself get overwhelmed from the, again, the college side of things, the pro side of things, versus also trying to figure out where exactly you need to develop more as a pitcher to get to where you want to get to, which I'm sure is get to the big leagues one day. So how do you kind of balance those two things? Being at the top already compared to your peers will also try to figure out how to develop further. Yeah, no, great question. I mean, I feel like my brother, he he's kind of the person that like when I'm high, he brings me down. When I'm low, he brings me up. And he's he, he never lets my highs get too high and my lows get too low. So he kind of keeps me even. I remember there was a time I played extra this past year. I struck out 17. And he, after he's like, why don't you strike out 21? And like he always brings you right back down immediately to like keep me humble, keep me focused, like always trying to get better every single day. So Definitely him. I mean, he's probably my biggest mentor and brother all built in one, which is awesome. But uh, yeah, no, just like remaining hungry, I guess, like never being satisfied until you truly make it. That uh, the CNEP SBL tournament was uh, I was down there for that this year. And that was a really crazy tournament. The first game I want to say was Dexter 
and Phillips Andover, I think. And uh, Thomas White had a little bit of a rough go of it on that one. Out, and he's he had a great, fantastic prep school career. And it just shows you how competitive that league is, that anybody on any day could be at risk of kind of getting rocked. What was it like to see that as somebody who's kind of on that level, high-end recruit, potential pro prospect? Yeah, no, I mean, Thomas is a great kid. And I mean, we're all human. I mean, he's been lights out all year up until that point. I think he had a point four point five ERA, like lights out, dominating. And I mean, we're all human, so we're all going to have those days where, especially as a pitcher, you got to throw that ball in 17-inch square, <laughs> and that pitcher has to hit it. I mean, it's some days when you don't have your stuff, they know something's coming, they're going to drive it. So, I mean, yeah, he was looked at as like, oh, you can't be hit. But like at the end of the day, like we're going to have our off days. And he had his off day, and he came back, bounced back, and looked awesome after that. So I guess just like, I mean, truly like realizing like every day is not going to be our best day. And you're only as good as your next day after your worst day. So I guess like just remaining in that mindset and saying like, even like when you have a great game, just know like, all right, what's your next game going to look like? So I guess that's kind of how I look at that. Mm -hmm. What's your current, for those that don't know, what's your current pitch repertoire? And is there a certain pitch that you're trying and have been focusing on developing further these last couple of months? Yeah, no, definitely. So four seam fastball, two seam, curveball slider. And I've really been trying to develop a splitter. I guess that's like, Going into this offseason, obviously gaining weight, getting stronger, just repeating mechanics, but definitely develop that splitter as a pitcher. I like feel very comfortable and can throw it in every count almost. And then this spring, you, you had a first year coach at Worcester Academy and Mike Abraham, who has who had experience with the Northeast baseball. What was it like to have him transition in as the coach and what, what was kind of his style? I mean, I think it's the best thing that ever happened for Worcester Academy Baseball. I mean, since day one, he made an impact. He wasn't even, our coach wasn't even on campus. He was already texting us. He's like, all right, what can we do in the fall that'll make us better for the spring? I mean, my whole years at Worcester Academy, even my brothers, we never did anything in the fall. Like, we were just, all right, baseball's a spring sport. We're going to wait till the spring. So I guess that, like, he he's like, not only is he like a big relationship guy, but he also pushes you to be like, better every single day and he so we did that in the fall and then the winter we were having meetings I think it also like him being there like just brought our team so much closer together I mean that was a really close-knit group but just knowing that you had a coach behind you that would go to battle for you no matter what just like I feel like brought us that much that our chemistry that much more together and so it gets like it's not like you're playing for a coach you're playing with a coach at this point when he came in and it like honestly like I'm so happy I get to play with him another year at what point over the last four or five maybe it was even longer than going maybe it was even more recent did you kind of realize that you were certainly more advanced I guess from a development standpoint from a baseball standpoint than maybe some of your some of your high school peers at what point did that kind of sort of start to settle in I mean I guess it still hasn't really set in for me because I'm, I'm trying to play with the best against the best and I feel like this summer I definitely on the Canes team I mean I was just like everyone else. Everyone's so hard. Everyone's really good. So I guess that kind of made me, get me hungry to be like better than them at that certain point. And like going into this offseason, like, all right, you're just as good as everyone else. So like, let's get better than them and like staying hungry and never being satisfied. Well, I, I mentioned in the lead that you were, uh, you're six foot nine. What was Little League like for you? Like, were you head and shoulders above everybody else and just one of those guys that was hitting like 25 bombs in a, in a Little League season? Or what, what was it like when you were like 10 to 12 years old? 
Little League was fun. I mean, I, I still hit at that time and I couldn't really pitch. I wasn't good. I was tall, but that was about it. So I usually hit, I hit in the three hole. I hit bombs a lot, but as soon as we got to the big diamond, they took that bat right on my hand. So little league was probably the most fun. I mean, you go out after school and you're playing games with all your friends. It's like, and I, I hit back then that was fun, but no, it was, it was awesome. My dad coached me back in little league. So it was definitely a time I missed, but great memories. What's been kind of, it's funny, you kind of, you, you did just allude to it, but I feel like when, wherever school you end up choosing, if you end up going to, to school with the five SEC or, or one ACC, whatever school you just choose, right? Every player at programs like that was the best player on the high school team, right? Or and it, it, probably the best player, one of the best players in the, in the state. Everyone was an all-state player. Everyone was a contender from Gatorade Player of the Year, whatever, whatever it might be. Have you tried to kind of prepare yourself for that? Again, going again, maybe from from dominating at this at this at this level, not that you won't not necessarily dominate at the next level, but of course it takes a different level of kind of training and focus. And how have you begun preparing yourself for that mindset and thinking about what that could the what the landscape will look like for you a year from now? Yeah. No, so I like going into this decision, I know these bigger schools are gonna have more commits, but I kind of feel like that's where I strive, like being surrounded around a bunch of guys who are just as good as me, if not better than me. Because I feel like it makes me like wake up every morning with a chip on my shoulder, like, all right, like time to go prove some people wrong. And so I guess like, I'm like happy to go into that with just like knowing that I got to work for everything that I'm going to get. Nothing's going to be handed to me because I feel like then I'd start to settle. So like knowing that there's five other right-handed pitchers that both all throw in the mid nines and all control their breaking ball stuff, like, all right, now I got to get to that point and get better than them. So I, I truly feel like that keeps me very hungry and just like never satisfied trying to be like the best version of myself pitcher on and off the field. One of your teammates last year, TJ Power, kind of went through a similar recruiting process, not in baseball, but as a basketball commit. He had kind of his choice of where he wanted to go, ended up committing to Duke and he's starting there this school year. Did he lend any advice like in terms of this recruiting process and being a really highly coveted recruit? I mean... Like, if you talk to TJ, you wouldn't, he would never bring up Duke. I mean, he's the humblest, like, most awesome kid I've ever met. So, honestly, when we were on the baseball field, we weren't even talking about baseball, sports, or anything. We were just talking about life. Like, so, I mean, we didn't really talk too much about the recruiting process for him just because I knew, like, it's stressful. I mean, the first time around was very stressful for me, but this time it's a little less stressful. It's more of me just, like, hoping I make the right choice. So, but just, like, hearing him talk to other people, to, like, some teammates, coach, and other people that I've heard he just really like stressed the fact that like take time like know your choice so I mean he was like funny story like one of my best friends Ryan Puglisi is going to Georgia for football like he went on a visit to Duke for football and he saw TJ playing coach playing catch with the coach down there on a basketball visit but like he's just a kid that so humble so like such a true genuine good kid and I mean like he, he made the right decision. He seems very happy there, so happy for him. Matt, you talked about the stress, more stress, probably the first time when you were first picking a school as opposed to now, now you're just making sure you want to make the right choice. The, the NCAA incorporated new recruiting rules beginning this past April that pretty much helps to prevent really early recruiting by NCAA schools. Kids as young as 14, 15, now kids can't talk to schools until August 1st of their junior year. Having already played through that process earlier, pretty much being a, a recruit at a young grade and a young age, do you think that's beneficial that kids might not have to go through the process of that as much as they used to really anymore? And you think it'll help kids better pick the right schools? 
Definitely. I mean, I think that's the best thing that NCAA has done in a long time. I mean, you think like a 15 year old is better to make, like better make a decision for four years of your life after high school. I mean, you're still a freshman, sophomore in high school. So, I mean, just like not even being able to talk to them until a certain time is like huge because I feel like it's, I mean, it hurt me to decommit because I'm like a really loyal guy and they showed a lot of loyalty in me from the beginning when I wasn't so good. So I guess like it, it was really hard for me to make that decision. And I don't, I don't want a kid to have to make that decision to do that again. So I feel like just not being rushed. Cause I mean, this didn't happen with you or any like other schools in the beginning, but like coaches will put a timeline on you to make it seem like this is the best thing you're going to get and say, Hey, you got two weeks to decide. So then you're stuck between like, Oh, all right, is this the best thing I'm going to get? I'm going to miss this opportunity. Or, and then they commit, and then they're like, oh, and then more comes along, and then they want to decommit. So I feel like just eliminating that whole thing from the process is, like, huge. Just play. I mean, you're a freshman and sophomore in high school. Just play ball, have fun, and then start getting recruited your junior year. So I guess, like, very, very, like, support strongly that decision by the NCAA to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I've always wondered, like, what is the point of committing your freshman or sophomore year? Because the school has up until until you sign the national letter of intent to be like, hey, you got hurt. We're going to pull that scholarship offer. And I always wondered, like, what is even the point of committing? Why not just wait, continue to boost your stock and play well? I guess for the but you're right. I guess the coaches can say, hey, we have to really nail down who's going to be in this class. So, yeah, we'll give you two weeks and that's your timeline. Is that kind of your experience that are coaches doing that now with you? Or is it is it a little bit less of a timeline now that you're kind of at the top of your recruiting class? Yeah, no, I mean, they haven't really said anything about timelines. I've kind of been very open with them, just like, hey, like, I want to take my visits. I want to fi- I want to make relationships with a bunch of like five or six schools that I could see myself playing for. And then I'll go see your school, like, because I truly want to know, like, like those five or six schools, like are very well chance like I could go to any of them. So like, just like, it's truly going to be based on like, whether it feels like home and they knew that. And I said, I'm probably going to commit around mid to late October, like, cause I want to truly take my time with this, see all the schools, not make a decision without seeing a school. So they were very like open with it. Right, yeah, take your time. Like, we're not going to put a timeline on you. Obviously, like we need it before the last day to sign your NIL, but the NLI letter, national letter of intent. So right. yeah, just like. No timeline, which is nice, which makes it a little less stressful too. What what overall has been the biggest advice, I guess, from your family? And what's it been the process been like for them as you've gone throughout the process? Yeah, I mean, my dad, he he's a huge relationship guy. So he he was kinda like not happy with me at first about the DQM just because like he's a loyal guy. I mean, he loyalty is his biggest thing, so it took him some time, but he understood why it made sense to him. So he's obviously still supported me, but he said, just like, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are trying to sell you. It's like a whole business game trying to say all the right things, but they don't tell you the bad, the good or the ugly. I mean, like, I'm just trying to like truly hear these coaches out because yeah, these coaches, these schools all have really good facilities, really good fan bases, really good programs, but you, you got to see yourself playing for a coach for two to four years. So just like truly like making a relationship and that going off that. Cause I mean, you can't go to a coach with something when you don't have a good relationship with them and that's who you're going to be playing for. So you've, you've played in probably all of the elite showcases that there, that there are to play in at this point in your career. Some of them, you started going to 
like last summer, you played in the U18 Baseball World Cup Americas qualifier. This summer, I mentioned that Geico High School National Championship Showcase, the Area Code Games East Coast Pro Showcase. I'm sure some of these perfect game, All-America games, things like that. What are What is your favorite showcase event that you've played? Like, what's the best one for guys who are kind of at that level and trying to pick between a lot of different options? So probably like as far as like best showcase wise, definitely area code. I mean, all the cross checkers are there, all the general managers of scouting. I mean, you look up and there's the stadiums full. Like I didn't know there was that many scouts in this world. I mean, it was (laughs) intense. You look up and there's people behind that go all the way up, all the way to the right and all the way to the left. So I guess probably like as far as getting seen like for pro ball, I mean, there's a bunch of college coaches there, too. So that was helpful for me. But most of those guys have already committed. So it was very helpful. But definitely, like, showcase-wise that. As far as, like, my favorite event, though, probably the MLB High School All-American Game or the U18 World Cup. I mean, nothing nothing beats putting those three letters across your chest and playing for your country. So that was probably definitely my favorite one. Ben, the last thing I'm, I'm curious, about, curious about is you kind of had the, I don't, I think it was an accidental slip up earlier, but I do want to ask about the NIL component, obviously of college sports now. And it's certainly big at, from at least from a baseball standpoint, the SEC and ACC level without, you don't have to get too specific or anything like that. But I'm just kind of curious, has that been a factor? Is that something that you've seen maybe even more than you expected, not just for your own recruiting process, but just being around players at your, at your talent level? Yeah, I mean, I played played with many good players, and they're all they all have endorsement deals and stuff like that. But it's hard; you don't know who to trust, and like, because a lot of people just say stuff, and there's no meaning behind it. So, especially in this college recruiting, this time through, I mean, coaches have come out and thrown numbers at me, and I'm like, all right, how can you truly promise me that? I mean, and that is that has nothing to do with my decision because if I get that, that's awesome. I can help my family. I'll give them some money, like whatever. But that's not really a big factor in my decision. But no, it's it, it, the NIL is like it's a dangerous game. I mean, people, like I said, are promising you stuff that you don't know if they can promise you. But no, I think it's huge. I mean, I just saw the NEPSAC lifted their restrictions on it, so they'll be good to like hopefully be able to get some. Even just like if I can get a free pack of gum or whatever, I mean, it's cool to just get free stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. You never know when it could end. So, take what you can get while you can get it. Mav, we are, we usually do a three up, three down segment where we just do like general interest questions about baseball stuff that maybe like helped you fall in love with the sport. Would you be up for participating in that? Definitely. All right, cool. Let me introduce you to our producer, David Yaz, who will do the three up, three down segment. Three up, three down. What's up, Maverick? There may be a pack of gum in this for you if you do well, Let, but let's, let's keep our fingers crossed. All right, three up, three down. Three questions for all of our panelists here today, Matt, Dan, and Maverick. Maverick, we'll start with you since you're the guest. Easy question first. What do you remember about the first Major League Baseball game you ever attended? Oh, geez. That's, that's a long time ago, but I, I want to say it was... My cousin, Alex Cobb, plays for the Giants, but he was with the Durham Bulls in AAA. And we went, we drove down and we went down there. And I just remember watching him and just every time the view will go up on the board, I'd try to like see it. It was like betting on what, what it was going to be the next time. So I guess like that was probably That's the biggest cool. game. So that was a home home game for the Durham Bulls? 
So it was down in Durham, North Carolina. So we drove down there from up here, but I believe so. Yeah. Coincidentally, I was there two weeks ago for visiting my cousin who lives there, and we drove right by the stadium. I took a picture. Oh, no, but yeah, it's, a sweet, it's a sweet stadium. Yeah, it really is. It's classic. Dan, why don't you go next? What do you remember about the first game you were at? Yeah, it's going to be an embarrassing story, but I will tell it. I was five years old, and I had a birthday party at a Philadelphia Phillies game at Veterans Stadium. And yep. yeah, we got like <laughs> nosebleed seats way up in the 700 level. And so we're walking through the concourse and you get out to the area and I'm walking. You just keep going up and up and up and up at Veteran Stadium. Hmm. I got to the seat and that's where I learned that I had a, a fear of heights. Oh, so no. I'm like started crying. I'm five years old. I have all my friends around me. And we actually needed to get relocated in the state. Like it was a birthday party type thing that we my parents had organized through the Phillies. And they, so I'm like sitting there crying. I had to go stand out in the concessions area. And then they got like somebody to usher us to a, a few seats in the lower part of the stadium so I could enjoy my birthday party. But well, um, so your little ploy worked. Well done. Yeah. Some, <laughs> sometimes you have to cry to get what you want. We'll get we'll keep that between the three of us. Okay. Matt. Matt, how about you? Mike Piazza was my favorite player growing up. I was a Mets fan and Mike Piazza was my favorite player. I remember going to Shea Stadium for a game. I wanna guess nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, whatever. And Mike Piazza got ejected in the first inning and I was devastated. I think I like bawled my eyes out. <laughs> wow. I guess there is crying in baseball. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. And nice to hear two names of, of the the more beautiful ballparks of the past, Shea Stadium and the Vet. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm being sarcastic. Blow them up. Yes. <laughs> and they did. Okay. Let's see. Matt, we'll start with you on this one. What's your go-to food when you go to the ballpark? And we, we, you can give us the full menu or just the favorite the thing that you most enjoy to consume when you're at the park. So I know the best food in any ballpark is at Chase Field where the Diamondbacks play, but... I'll just go classic sausage, peppers, and onions. Boring, but acceptable. Okay. Dan? Yeah, I usually do. If I go to Fenway, I'll either get like sausage, peppers, and onions on Yaki. Or if I go in the stadium, maybe I'll do a, like a hot dog and a soft pretzel or something like that. But yeah, pretty boring. Jeez. All right. Well, Maverick, you got not so great acts to follow. So <laughs> how about you, Maverick, when you go to the ballpark? What do you like to eat? Overall favorite, definitely a hot dog, but... When I went to Camden Yards, when my cousin was with the Orioles, they have these crab cakes there, and I think they're the best mm. thing I've ever eaten. Sure. Yeah. They have good food in Baltimore, for sure. Unreal. Isn't that Boog's Barbecue out in right field? Yeah, out in right field. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Final question on three up, three down. And Maverick, you get to go first. If you could have dinner with any baseball player personality, past or present, alive or dead, Biggest star you can imagine, or just someone you would you would like to meet? Who would that be? Definitely Nolan Ryan. Yeah, like, and why is that? I don't know. I watched his documentary. Now you really know too much. It's kind of a shame, but I didn't really know too much about him before the documentary. Even though he's just probably the best pitcher in all of baseball, but well, after watching the documentary, I'm like, wow, this dude was a cool dude. Like small town guy, sure, hard worker. I was like, he's definitely someone I wish I could meet. I, I saw a meme yesterday that said something like uh, Ryan Ventura in the minor leagues had had like a 58-game hitting streak. And then he got to the major leagues and Nolan Ryan hit him 58 times in the head when he tried to char charge the mound. It wasn't, it wasn't the greatest moment for, uh, for, for Robin, but Nolan was a tough guy. Yeah, Facing Nolan is the name of that documentary, by the way. If you want to look that up, folks, it's on Netflix. Dan, how about you? Who'd you like to, to meet? I'm going to go Pete Rose. Um mm thinking that you might be able to get him to start talking about some of his best gambling stories. 
I'm sure he's got a few. Yeah. Yep. Good one. And Matt. Nolan Ryan never winning a Cy Young might be the most ridiculous thing in baseball history. Mm, true. It's putting his strikeouts and no hitters, perfect games, whatever. I think we know Pedro Martinez. Mm. I know it's kind of bland. Actually, I'm actually a Mets fan. I'm a Red Sox fan. But I don't know. Pedro seems like a great, fun personality and seems like he's always willing to talk baseball. So I think I'd probably go Pedro. If you do, get a picture of you holding up his hand to yours because that man yes. has ridiculous creature-like hands. Anyway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put those three guests on my podcast wish list. Pedro yes. Martinez, Nolan <laughs> Ryan, and Pete Rose. We'll make, we'll make some room on the schedule. Uh, <laughs> Maverick, you did very well. I have one question. You, you have a t- terrific name for baseball. We, we know this. But you, you, there's an unusual spelling of your name. What, what, what's up with no E in Maverick? Where does your name come from? I'm curious. So it's got, it's not really the best story, kind of sad, but my mom grew up working with someone in a nursing home and they named their kid Maverick and lost in the cancer at a young age. And my mom kind of named me after that. But the spelling wise, I mean, I think they want to be a little bit different from like Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> right. I really have the E in it. So yeah. I guess that's why they did it. But yeah. well, that's actually a, t- a tremendous story. Very, very nice. It's, it's your mom sounds like a very kind woman. So that's tremendous. You did well. I'm declaring Maverick the winner. You, you other guys, you did okay. But congratulations. And we'll, we'll send over some gum and some hot dogs to you, Maverick. So congratulations. Thank you. Say, we'll call whatever school he ends up choosing and make sure they get him some gum as far as, as, far as NIL. We can <laughs> Just have a pack of gum when I walk in. <laughs> Back to you, Dan. All right. Thanks to Mav Rizzi for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production. 